This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. This show is powered by BlockWorks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network, including mine. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's awesome guest is Samantha Yap. She's the founder and CEO of Yap Global, your angle presented globally. She represents some of the biggest names and clients in the industry, and we went under the hood uh, in the rocket ship to go over some cool details and some fun stories, uh, including Bitmain, Coindesk, my Ether wallet, Diversify, Bitfinex. We talk about her history uh, growing up uh, all over Asia. And even she doesn't even know what her identity is because she's lived in so many different places, speaks so many different languages. What a great show, because whenever I learn something, whenever I come out of this show and there's like, oh, I didn't know that or I'm learning something new, I always feel like it was a great show. Uh, and I try to make that happen for every show, because if I learn something and I'm laughing and I'm having a good time, then I know you're having a good time and you're laughing and you're learning something. So I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. Hey, everyone, I'm here with Samantha Yap. Samantha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I'll, I record like a whole intro beforehand, too. So I'll, I get into like everyone's like, well, you didn't tell anyone about me. You just be like, hey, this is John. And I said, well, I'll do that after before. Um <laughs> That's all right. You have a crazy life story. I, you know, while doing the research, you have a um, from from your education to uh, where you worked and what you did pre crypto, and then you got into crypto, and it it's almost as if your life's work and the things that you've done and the experiences that you've had perfectly set you up for working in this space. Yeah, I guess you can put it that way. Um, yeah, in terms of, you know, when I started uh, Yap Global, um, you know, people were asking, you know, uh, how much money did you put into your company? You know, what did you invest in? Um, and to be honest, I think I paid like 300 pounds to put a, a website together. But really, what I really invested in was building my career, uh, starting my career as a journalist, um, understanding how to tell stories. And then uh, somehow I managed to um, fall into a short stint doing fintech PR that led me to crypto. And then now I am running a PR firm helping uh, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and fintech companies tell their stories. So uh, yeah, you, you articulated it quite well, Charlie. Thank you. The um, You say stories, right? And And this is, you know, untold stories. I feel like stories is very good and very bad. Um, and let's kind of jump into it for a second here, because um, what I'm seeing happening and, and what I try to like avoid is um, I see narratives forming and I see what what companies and our projects are doing is they're starting to create narratives around uh, the history of them, their coin, their token, things like that. And for better or for worse, um, how do we counteract how do we counteract that people taking our loving community uh, and try to use it for the bad? You saw that with some of these tokens that spun off of Bitcoin and some of these coins. You see that that was like being harnessed for for evil in a way. I think it's I think people can can tell like, you know, a, a genuine um, you know story and a narrative um, from from one that is. 
um, bad, but like, just, I just want to like understand here when you're saying like, basically take advantage of the narrative, what, what are you trying to say? Like, so, well, what's an example of what you're referring to? So for example, um, let's, you know, I'll get, I get a lot of flack for this, but, um, a lot of projects have launched their tokens off of saying that proof of work is bad for the environment. And so they're, they're creating, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether or not that's true, then they launch proof of stake and they say, this is Bitcoin 2.0 or whatever. This is Ethereum 3.0 or whatever, whatever. Um, right. So creating narratives and based on like false data or your opinion, taking, taking that data, because at the end of the day, you have people that come to you. Uh, yeah. What type of stories do they want to tell? What, what are they trying? Are, do they need help writing their story or are they more looking for uh, getting it out there? Yeah. Um, so like, let me, you know, take a step back and, and touch on, you know, say projects that are trying to, I guess, like, you know, spin may not be a good word, but like, yeah, spin a narrative out of what they're trying to do. And maybe what they're trying to do is like unethical. And I think that's where, um, you know, journal, like, because we are PR and we work a lot with journalists and we're having that basic understanding of how journalism works comes in because uh, is, um, you know, amazing a story um, could be and how you, you can craft an amazing narrative. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, journalists are going to see past that. Um, so one of our missions is to build a bridge between quality journalism and emerging technology startups. So when we work with companies, we obviously have do our due diligence and make sure that, well, I mean, in the, at the surface level, what like is this, this team, um, you know, who are they? Are they, uh, you know, are they good actors? Uh, that's that's the first point, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, you know, what are they trying to do? And is what they're trying to do really adding value to the industry? Um, that's what will attract us to working with a project. And then we help them tell a story. So we want to represent meaningful um, co like companies and startups that are making a difference. Um, with, uh, say, you know, you know, touching on kind of the bad actors who are like launching tokens and kind of take advantage of the, the, like the, you the look at like Hexcoin, for example, you know, and there are a lot of these, uh, plus token in China and there's a lot of these, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they create, they create narrative. They, what they did was in those communities is that they used PR firms that were like, un, you know, didn't know better. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of your jobs is, 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 uh, kind of being that, uh, company to represent the good the good clients right and to, yeah. to weed out the bad ones but they created these narratives and stories uh that were based on false information so plus token was a perfect example of how many people fell vic victim to that uh, ponzi scheme yeah i like i'm not um I'm, I'm not aware of plus token but what i would say is did did it because that's the purpose and that's why we need like um you know, strong uh, media publications, uh, editorially yeah. sound media publications in this space to kind of be like that fourth estate, which is what like journalism in the media is. So, you know, that's like your coin desk, the block, uh, you know, decrypt media at the moment, coin, like Cointelegraph. Um, there's the editorial side of Cointelegraph, which is mm. uh, one part of it. I, I won't, I won't get, go yeah, into I that. Wrote, I read two articles you wrote for Cointelegraph. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of about the, the media narrative on that. And so I, I'm just wondering, you know, if, cause I'm not sure actually about this, but if, if Coindesk covered plus token, I am sure, 
uh, and I put, have a lot of trust in the journalists yeah. that they will do their digging, they will do their like you know investigation and 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 really work out like what it is. Um, and yeah, I guess in terms of like you know perhaps these companies had their own PR firms. I guess well, so we that's a good point that you're making. Yeah. That's a good point that you're making. At what point did did crypto PR turn from like just reporting on the industry to like more investigative journalism? Did you see that transition? Like because the you know the block would have never existed a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think definitely there is a need because yeah, you're you're hearing a, a, of a lot of like you know scams and hacks, and I think that's you know this industry does need like quality journalism and then next level investigative journalism to keep it in check. Uh, Cause for those of us who really are passionate about watching this space grow, we need to make sure that it's growing sustainably, you know, like we can't just, you know, be shouting about like, yeah. you know, ourselves and, and then promoting these Ponzi schemes, which is irresponsible. We want, we want kind of the rest of the world to take the crypto currency space seriously and that's why we need good journalism. And then us as a PR firm, uh, I know there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting marketing PR firms in the space. But yeah, we genuinely want to be that filter um, for the journalists as well, because you know we know that the media get a lot of pitches a day. So we're here, kind yeah. of making sure that you know our clients are getting heard and talked about. Um, and a lot of that comes with, um, yeah, telling a good story, but one that is newsworthy and that is relevant for today. Who, who were some of your, some of your first clients? Like, do you have any fun stories of, of like the first time that you had to like do something in the space and yeah. you were just, tell me some, tell us some stories. People love stories. Yeah, that's that's why they listen to the one. show. <laughs> well, um, so I actually got, um, well, yeah, it's basically a failed company, but um, an ICO obviously was my first client. They were trying to be like the um, Airbnb on the blockchain. So they're trying to like... I feel like an ICO is everyone's first client. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, I got in in late 2017. Um, and then I, um, then I went to an Ethereum London uh, meetup and I, uh, you know, basically, you know, was really impressed with um, so Biddy, which was a, a a Swiss brokerage firm at the time. I was really impressed with their CEO's kind of like talk about uh, you know crypto regulation. His um, yeah. name was Lexi Buzel, and um, so he was kind of my second client. Um, and then interestingly, um, he had introduced me to my Ethan wallet. <laughs> so I oh, my, worked out. Ethan was one of my clients. Well at the time um and yeah that was really interesting because a, a year before i actually the first eth that i got uh, i was told to put it on my ether wallet and then in just a short year i was like oh i'm meeting the team and um so that was interesting um and i, I love when that happens and yeah. that's such a really cool thing about the industry um because some of the sponsors on this show well actually yeah all the sponsors on the show are, are products that I used before they were sponsors. So like BitPay, for example, I've been using BitPay to do the first transaction. I used BitPay back in 2013 when I owned a nightclub in New York and we did the first transaction like in a physical wow. place ever. And actually funny story, a side side story to that one was the woman who did that transaction who worked at the, at the nightclub is my wife today. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so it all came out together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it all came story. together. So you, so you an met... Old, oh, yeah, wow. we met there. There's an old newspaper article. of You see her, like, doing the transaction. And then just, we just, because of that, we met and we started talking. And that's, we, we started dating. And that was eight years ago or whatever. And we well, married, so yeah, we married three years. Thanks to crypto. <laughs> yeah, so she's like a crypto OG big time because she's been in the space for a super long time. So we'll be yeah. sitting at, a, it's funny, we'll be sitting at a, I like an investor dinner or a VC dinner or something where you have like the big head people in the space or whatever. And Courtney knows everybody and everybody knows Courtney, um, uh, especially if they've been in the space a very long time. And like if we met in real life and I saw you at a conference, you'd meet her and everyone knows her. So we were sitting at a thing and um, people don't some people who are new don't realize that she's my wife or she's been in the space. So if they're sitting next to her, they try to explain things to her in real time, like mansplaining or whatever. Oh, that's so really yeah. So it's funny because it's like, yeah. she'll be sitting there and someone will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Barry Silbert and the guy will be like, and Barry is a guy who owns. And she's like, I literally I know. <laughs> know Barry longer than you. like, it's just funny. It's wow. just, yeah. So, yeah. But I guess, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it sounds like your wife has been around for ages, but yet still at events get mansplained yeah. well <laughs> so. i think that's like a larger problem in the world not just with crypto yeah. but that's another another topic that i'm sure everyone yeah. talks about all the time um yeah. but with so but let's kind of go into that with the industry do you get clients i mean so you're you're working with like bitmain my ether wallet diversify um these are all what's great is that these are all people that i've actually had on this show um and these are some big people i mean you're talking about coindesk bitmain bitfinex these are some big clients that you've landed yourself and that you work with. How do you how do you convince them to work with you? Um, what is your team like? Uh, what what sets you apart? Because and this it seems like this story mechanism. That's why like when you email me about a, a specific guest, usually it's like works out because the guest aligns with my show. How did you get to that point? Yeah. So. A lot of what, you know, the style of how we operate is we like to say we tell stories like journalists. Because ultimately, if you want to get your project or if you just want to get, you know, an article out or a launch out, you need to write like a, a good piece of journalism, basically, because that's going to, you know, increase the chances of you getting picked up. And obviously, you want to add value to the conversation. So, a way when we pitch our clients, we actually, um, you know, with our proposals, we do a bit of work. So we actually will, um, you know, take, say, an example announcement or if they, they have a story that they want to push out, we will actually build the, the narrative for them to see if they're comfortable with the way we're t telling the story. Because there's so many ways you can craft um, a story, but you want to, with a PR firm, you want to find a partner that you can trust to get your message across in a way that you're comfortable with. Um, and, you know, not, uh, uh, I guess, you know, twisting kind of what you're trying to do. So we actually help like diversify. So I know you, you recently spoke to Will, um, spin off from, uh, from Bitfinex. Uh, they were Ethfinex yeah. before. So we were the team that helped them rebrand. Um, and, uh, yeah. Diversify is like the best name. I told, I told Will that actually, because <laughs> it were it sounds diversified, you know, DeFi, yeah. it just works. And, yeah. and it really like fits the, I guess this year has been the, mm. like DeFi has really taken off and yeah, it really fits the kind of 
the, the, I mean, just where the space is heading, and and it, it's a great name. But um, I mean, that that's credit to to Will and the team. Uh, I didn't come up with the name, but it was also just kind of like rebranding, right? Like you know, we were we were discussing, we wanted to like position it as like a spinoff from Bitfinex, and it like you know, doing a lot of that, you know, brand positioning beforehand was very critical before like launching the new like you know spin-off oh i see your point uh, yeah so we, we we spend a lot of time with the you know founders to discuss kind of like how do you want to explain you know who they are um yeah basically you want to get all those in order so that when you do go live um it makes sense and then you know the brand just carries itself over time as journalists and the media come to learn more about what they do and and um who they are what are your some uh, favorite publications in the space? I don't want to. I don't know if you should call some out here, but which ones do you think are um, kind of leading in the right direction that you prefer to work with? I don't know if you want to burn bridges now. They're going to listen to the show. They're going to be like, what? Well, Maybe I the- mean, so I call it like the the like crypto like top tiers, right? And so sure. that's okay, definitely you your yeah. The top tiers are definitely like CoinDesk, um, the block. Um, but CoinDesk is now research now. They're not really journalism anymore. They they do they have a journal like they have a yeah they have they have a lot of people and they have been hiring like new journalists as well like I am I'm very close with them I like them a lot yeah I I mean better when they were journalism but I still like them now (laughs) well they do they I I think they do have a a, a research section I think they have a couple of newsletters um, but then they do have an editorial team that does um, you know write the the day to day news and I'm sure you see the new format yeah bullet points. Um, I don't know what you think about them. I mean, uh, that's honestly the bullet points is the best feature because most people are not reading the article at the end of the day. And if they yeah. are, you're looking for the specific, like, give me the, give me the meat of this, of the situation here. Yeah. So the bullet points and, was and, great. And this is where like, you know, I really have a lot of admiration for crypto journalists because I think that bullet point kind of format um, maybe works well because there's so much happening. Like, you know, there's so much happening in the DeFi space, uh, a lot, let alone like the broader crypto industry. And, um, you know, you want to be able to cover kind of like the, the top, you know, news and, yeah. you know, companies will put out announcements daily. So I think it's a good way to like capture a lot more of, of, of what's happening. But then, you know, it shouldn't be substitute for the, the, the articles that delve deeper into a project. So still need some of that, but maybe the journalist could take a bit more time to write, write a piece on that and not like yeah. have to turn it out in an hour or something. I'd love to see journalists give more disclosure. So if they're writing an article about a specific coin or token, just simply say if you own any of it, just yep. the simple fact of that. It's okay if you do like, you know what I mean? Like I, I'll say what I own. Um, I do actually in some, in some of my newsletters and companies and stuff that I write, I, I talk about my portfolios. I've been doing it for years. Um, yep. And so uh, I'd love to see that more happen, more transparency and disclosure. Yeah, I definitely think they, they already do that. So if you just like go on Coindesk and you kind of like look through the, the like reporters. Most of they, the time, but it's only investment in companies. Yeah. Well, I think some like, oh, I hold like some ETH and or like $100 worth of ETH and $100 of Bitcoin. Um, I'm not going to say who, but I spoke to someone in... Um, 
like I speak to CoinDesk reporters daily, um, but they said that they have to declare to their editors if they want to buy a token. Yeah. To buy, you know. So I hope, I hope that system's in place. And- yeah. And it seems like that's, that's changing. And it's like, you know, I feel like what has happened was over time, we've become very self-regulatory, not because we believe in these things or not. That's another conversation. But I think it's because mm-hmm. in the fear of being regulated badly, we've decided to regulate ourselves, you know, whether how we do it is good or bad. Um, so it's nice to see like a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. You, I mean, you have your finger on the pulse, especially in Asia. You where did you go to school? Where did you live? Like I was trying to do the research and it seems like you went to school and lived in like six different countries. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So um, I'm actually Malaysian, like born. But uh, when I was four, I grew up in Indonesia um, and then migrated to Australia. So uh, my childhood was spent in those three different countries. Um, so I, I am very confused with my identity. I <laughs> call myself a global citizen whenever are everyone asks me where so, I'm from. Yeah, what do you uh, identify no, with? I'm actually Chinese. So okay. great-grandparents come from Guangzhou, China. Um, but yeah, anyway, I grew up in Indonesia. And then I feel like I'm Indonesian, but I'm really not uh, by nationality or anything. Um, and then I, you know, was Australia like I lived, grew up in Australia and um, studied journalism at Monash University in Australia. I'm not sure whether it's a known university, oh, but it's well known in Melbourne. Yeah, it's. Fine. I don't think you know about Brooklyn College either, so don't worry. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but um, and then uh, I my dream when I was studying journalism was to be a foreign correspondent. Like to be honest, I never thought I would be in crypto. I guess crypto didn't exist. Like, you are a car, foreign car. Well, so you want to like be on TV and, you know, yeah. like in the BBC or something and like with the hurricane coming, I'm in yeah, the typhoon that, somewhere. And That was my dream. Like I wanted to be like in, this, cool. like, you know, in the middle of tsunami and like reporting, but that didn't happen. Uh, although I tried. So then I, that's why I moved to Singapore, worked for Channel News Asia for a bit. Um, I did some documentaries. I did, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I produced programs and then, um, yeah, and then I think I, I tried to do the freelance journalism thing um, in Indonesia again. Um, and then, yeah, for some reason, I fell into fintech PR and then crypto. Either I found crypto or crypto found me. And then here I am. To be honest, I started this accidentally. I, I never thought I would start a company. <laughs> There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with your team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out. 
coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or Big Casino. Fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Shrem. I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. So you Bye. talk about like fintech PR, and and I know you, it, and then crypto PR. It's very different because fintech PR, the audience yeah. is kind of known who we're going after. Yeah. Who is the audience? Do you have to ask the client like who it you know PR public relations public? Who is the public that you guys are looking for? Do you yeah. have to ask that question? Yes, we do because when we talk to clients, we got to go. Okay, what are your business objectives? So for some projects, it's like we want more developers. We want okay. developers to like build on our our, our platform. So getting them on, so they want crypto developers, right? So getting them on like, you know, BBC would not make sense because I don't know crypto developers. Yeah, maybe they read BBC, but it's not like they would. That would be the first place they go to to learn about the next kind of like platform to build on, right? So there's that. So that actually um, impacts the strategy. Uh, for for what we do for that company, but then you get then you get uh, you know we work with say we have a custody provider called First Digital Trust and they um, you know are targeting uh, kind of um, high net worth individuals and institutions that want to um, you know ex- like basically uh, you know build a portfolio of digital assets. Yeah. Um, and so then we're looking at you know trying to get them on Bloomberg, trying to get them on like you know, uh, traditional financial publications. Um, so that's another different audience. So yeah, we, we have to kind of figure that out. And, you know, for example, with diversified, you know, they want the, the traders. Yeah. So like, you know, where, what, what publications do we target to that, that traders read? Like, so what, where do they read? What do they read? Tell us some details. I'm curious. Well, so that's another thing. So it depends on which traders. So if you're a decentralized exchange today, I guess the most the, the the target audience would be cryptocurrency traders, and you know that's the the ones who are already crypto savvy. So you'd be advertising on like CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap or something like that. Um, yeah, but advertising is not PR. So PR is oh, like still is still aiming for like getting them coverage in like like CoinDesk or or the Block or or, or Decrypt and just like you know sharing about the new features on on that platform because I think that's. And then if you notice that these articles, they do get shared within like, you know, forums on like, I guess, Discord now, you, you know, and, and I, I guess many people are on Reddit. I don't, yeah. I'm not really on Reddit, but you know, like when those articles get shared, it, it kind of like signals and it shows that, you know, there are these new features for um, traders. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one because it, it, like we also have to understand like we could go to NASDAQ, but Will there be like, you know, savvy crypto traders that will understand how to trade on a DEX? Um, like maybe, but that would be like a hard sell. Um, you know, we would still aim for that because obviously we want a bridge. But I think right now, I think decentralized trading is quite popular. I, I would say it, it's popular, but you, like it's, it's popular among the crypto savvy. Like, I don't know. I think. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like Uniswap he, has 57,000 registered. Uh, I read this morning, 57,000 registered users. That's not really a lot, though, if you think about it. Yeah. Globally. Yeah. Because I think that there's, there's still that gap, right? Of like, More people have coronavirus in Florida than that. So, I <laughs> when, mean. When you put it that way. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not a lot of people. If, if oh, fifty-seven thousand sure. people globally to do, but the, but look at the numbers. I mean, people don't realize like mm. crypto. I posted a chart last week and I said, we're still at the innovator stage, you know, not even early adopter stage. And I get yelled at all the time. You're like, you're leading people on. And I say, I'm not. We're not even 10 years in this thing. Yeah. We don't even know what we're doing. We're still trading on places like Uniswap, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and Uniswap's quite easy to use. It is. Um, it's great, by the way. But, it really but, but is. But the thing is like, okay, I don't know if you have a lot of, I mean, Think of the, the closest friend you have that doesn't know crypto. Did you just say you don't think if I have a lot of friends? No, no, no. no a lot of friends. Like, I don't know. I'm just Sorry. I'm the- <laughs> I meant like outside of crypto. because it seems You like should know I have three stuff. friends. Two are, <laughs> two are good. One's on the fence. No. <laughs> but but I, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. Because I'm like, if I tell my friend like, okay, uh, you know, you can own ETH and you can, you can buy this token now that's rising. I mean, I don't give investment advice. I think the first thing would be like, some people still don't know how to use crypto wallets. Like, yeah, they still don't understand how to get ETH. They. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, <laughs> just the other day, uh, you know, I trade ETH and and uh, and everything else, but I use certain hardware wallets or whatever wallets I use. There's millions of wallets. Just the other day, I was trying to use Uniswap, and you need to use MetaMask. I don't use MetaMask, so there's a perfect example here. I've exactly. been in the space for. Exactly. And then it's like, oh, do you use MetaMask? Do you use my Ether wallet? Or do you, um, do you so buy this comes down to, <laughs> I think what you're trying to say is everything is still very experimental. And so the products and services that are being built are still being built for the, for the people, the men and women that are in the industry right now. So the public and the audience that you're going out for, um, that you're going after our, our current, uh, in, in the box, right? Like in the box of, of crypto, right? To, mm. to, bas- to put it all into one basket. But what happens when you have clients who not just want to like convince people to use their company or their service, but want to go out and like gospelize, is gospelize a word? To, to preach mm-hmm. the gospel of, of crypto or Bitcoin or a token or, you know what I mean? Like it's like the next step, the next yeah. level that yeah. evangelizing on that. What do you do? Yeah, um, well, I think that's the space we're in, right? We we're we're basically the bridge between the 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 again emerging technology space, the emerging crypto space, and then like kind of you know the mainstream and and just you know journalism in general. Um, and and actually touching on, I didn't touch on my team, but basically you know uh, we're we're a tight team of five at the moment. Um, and I've got I've got a team around the world, like. Um, two in two in Melbourne, one in Berlin, and one moving to Paris. Um, and some of my come, you know, from creative uh, agency backgrounds, so they actually are not like crypto natives. And I guess yeah. I wouldn't call myself a crypto native either. I'm not a developer. I'm not like I don't understand crypto uh, cryptography like fully. I'm not, you know, very techy. Um, but we're still able to understand like you know what these complex. Uh, projects are trying to do um, and then communicate it. And I think where we sit is like the best place to be because we still, they, like these companies need a translator <laughs> in a way. And that's what we are. Yeah, well, like, that's oh, what it is. Yeah. Because to translate, yeah. They need to translate the content. So even the words that you're using, um, yeah. you know, so uh, tell tell me more about some of your other clients. Uh, it's curious yeah. because usually I don't want people to shill their, their stuff, but this is interesting because you can you can give us some intimate uh, knowledge okay, and background. So 
I mean, right now, I guess uh, a really cool uh, project that that's getting a lot of attention is Band Protocol. So they're a data oracle, uh, kind of a rival to Chainlink. Um, so they, um, yeah, I guess when we've worked with them to explain what data oracles are, uh, we like to talk about the trust that DeFi needs um, because early this year, uh, there were a couple of stories of like, you know, even during the Black Thursday event, um, when the ETH network kind of like slowed down. And I think, I'm not sure of numbers, but there was like, I think 5 million yeah. die that got lost. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but, but, you know, funds, you know, th- there've been a few DeFi, um, network kind of vulnerabilities that have led to losses in funds. Yeah, That's recently, it always, it's been like, happening a lot. Yeah, then like, you know, with, with the, the whole flash loans thing, there were also losses. And the reason is because um, I guess the, the price updates are not um, like as fast. And so uh, that's why you need like data oracles in the space now um, to build that trust. Uh, and so that's kind of what band, band protocol, um, you know, is there a data oracle? I think you need many. Um, but yeah, building that narrative uh, and and kind of getting them heard and and they're doing really well right now has been yeah quite exciting and um, yeah fun for us as well. Uh, and what's really cool is they're like a Thai based team. I think there's not a lot of coverage on Asia based projects, so it's pretty cool to see this team. Uh, like yeah, we're very. Globally. Are you getting a lot? Do you do you get more uh, uh, Asian European clients uh, or American? I think it's been global really because crypto is so global like i you know i work with clients from switzerland to new york to thailand and hong kong um really it's quite global and that's the you know fun part of this industry um and the way i meet my clients is you know it could either just be like online through like you know introductions or um conferences which i miss a lot because we can't really go to conferences now i Um, i do miss conferences in fact um i'm trying to convince uh my friend who runs bitcoin miami to uh it's the longest running bitcoin conference crypto conference right now longest and oldest in miami goes every year and i'm trying to convince him to announce a date in like january that he usually does you know um so because i think by january uh, Florida will be even Florida now. Like I was just reading an article Hopefully. before the show. I was reading an article before the show that the top travel destination in the United States right now is Florida um, because people can't leave the country really. So, so you're seeing huge, huge. So I, that's what I think. But, uh, but who knows? So I hope conferences. You'll see conferences go. You know. But hopefully those travel numbers don't bring like COVID along with it. <laughs> but you know. You know, I. Uh, I I'm really surprised you don't see more mandatory testing at every airport. Like no matter where you're, if yes. you're go, you know, if you're going through an airport or a train, it should be like, like test. Like, I don't know, just like a, like a, a test. Like when you go through security, you know what I mean? Just so yeah. like one, my yeah, friend just funny. landed in France this morning and he sent me a picture and he said, he said like, it doesn't make any sense. They, they, they huddle everyone together Everyone's wearing masks, but everyone's huddled together from all different countries and customs. And there's no, so. Yeah, it's quite funny because I, um, you know, I I made a trip to see uh, family in Sweden. Uh, My husband's from Sweden. And then we came back to the UK. And 
we were just able to walk through the gates. Like I thought there was going to be some like temperature check at least, um, but we just walked through. And what was really weird was we then, you know, two weeks later, we're able to go out and go to a restaurant for the first time in, in like four months. Um, I went to a Korean restaurant and I love like Korea. They I miss Korean so, like, barbecue. Hygienic. And um, yeah, it was so good. Um, and they, they like took my temperature and I'm like, wow, like this Korean restaurant has taken my temperature and the UK government never yeah. did for me. <laughs> like they're more like <laughs> cautious than... It's a, the, everyone has <laughs> the temperature checks now and it's like, it's a, we, we joke around town, it's the zombie checker to see if you're like a zombie. Right. So it's like you want to go into the gym. Like this morning I had to get checked and then... I go oh, into the, to really? the little grocery store here. I have to wait outside because it's a small one. So only one person at a time. She checks. It really depends where you are and and the types of people. You know, we were talking about coronavirus earlier. I live in a place, luckily, where people are used to like thinking for themselves and not and not and very untrusting of the media already. So it's like yeah. a lot of that. And then the like, I won't get into it, but the no mask mask debate is very. Contentious. It's about compliance. You know, yeah. whether or not the conversation of a mask uh, exists or not, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I just sneezed, right? If I had coronavirus, <laughs> God forbid, and I sneezed and someone was right there, they would have it now, right? Yeah. You're telling everyone who argues against masks, this literally would have prevented that from happening. Yes, it's a yeah. cloth. It's a cloth. Yeah, I know. That's true. But if I sneeze on you and now I can't sneeze on you, you're telling yeah. me that well, we shouldn't do that. Like, that's pretty great. Like, I don't want people sneezing on me at all. In fact, after this is over, I'll probably still wear this on a plane. This is, this is comfortable. Yeah. I'll put it around my neck. And, yeah, of course. Because so, I'm I like agree. a germaphobe. They should make yeah. everyone in prison wear masks because I got so sick in jail. Still dealing uh, with that till today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you've got a really interesting story, Charlie. I, I was reading up a lot on, on what... Thank you. I really appreciate that. I actually that. read, actually just before this, I read your like um, kind of interview for the CoinDesk um, year in review that you did in December. Um, oh, and I should go back and about, see what I said. Well, you're, uh, the one thing that I picked out was about like how there's a lot of young people in this industry. Um, and I think the question was like, oh, like how do you find those child prodigies? But you're just like, you were saying like, actually it's about finding the right CEOs well, it's like the right fit to be a CEO of com like early stage companies right now. And I think, yeah, yeah like that, that was a really good point because I think, yeah, while there's a lot of bright, you know, young people in this industry, we, they do need that knowledge of how to like grow it sustainably. And so that's um, what kind of happened in the early days was there were a lot of people who were really bright and are really bright and really smart and saw the future and saw the vision but the reason all of us weren't working jobs was because we're either younger kids or just kind of like the misfits or the outskirts or, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the universe, like, like, I don't want to name names, but the CEOs of some of the largest companies, I, I jokingly wanted to do, you should do this. You should, this is what you, we should do this. I want to do like a video. What did you do before crypto? And just do a video yeah. of like what you did before. And you'd be very surprised. Some crypto CEOs today, um, there's like actually, uh, he, I can give him a, a, as a, the, the COO of Chain Analysis today, huge company, Chain Analysis, mm -hmm. but just 2014, he was getting free tickets to conferences because he couldn't afford to go to them. You know, the London one, for example, Bitcoin London that I spoke at in 2014, he got 
a ticket for free because it was like $1,000. Uh, he got a ticket for free just because he promised to live tweet it. And he didn't have a job back then. He's now, this is a guy who's running an executive of a company now who literally is on the front lines talking to governments every single day. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, it's really cool, um, like, to see, like, these young, um, you know, founders, like, really grow businesses. Cause I, and I, and I, I always say, like, with, with Yap Global, I feel like, uh, I mean, for me, I, I, I don't, I didn't have any prior experience to running a company. Um, I, I, although I'm small, small business, um, you know, I, I'm just learning every day. And uh, I always joke, like, I feel like I've been in real life business school because it really is. Like, yeah, definitely- I guess I don't need to do MBA anymore. <laughs> You know. Will you go back? There's no, there's almost like no point. Like I always thought about doing that or, you know, maybe getting my doctorate just so people have to call me doctor or whatever, but yeah. who knows? Well, yeah. Cause it's like, what's the point of it now? Uh, I mean, the only way, like the only thing I would see an MBA would help is maybe like networking, but that's kind of already happening in crypto with, with going to these conferences. Um, I, I mean, I love that I get to meet so many different people and someone should maybe how I get my clients. I, so I, now that like schools are all, um, are all like remote now, how cool yeah. would it be if you can custom create your own, like not degree, but like, I would love to sign up to a lot of different classes from a lot. I want to take business at Harvard online. I want to take political science at George Washington in DC. I want, you know what I mean? I don't want to get my degree. I just want to learn. That would be really yeah. cool if someone created a way that you can like pick and choose credits from different schools or whatever. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the only like, you know, reason why I would do it as well. So I guess, yeah, l- learn kind of the theory side of things or even just with like business management, you know, I think it's it's good to kind of sometimes take a break and take a step back to, to yeah. understand yeah. what you're really doing. Uh, it's something I am thinking about, but, um, I, I, I'm learning so much already. It's like just trying to like scale this business and, and keep it going. Well, <laughs> the, the good thing, have you noticed that in our industry, like if we go back to March when this coronavirus really started, um, our industry has grown. It's like more jobs have been added. Um, it's like the opposite yeah. of the, of the rest of the world. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, one of the points, um, you know, I, I make when I speak to people about this space is, you know, when, when the global lockdown happened, I think the crypto industry has been able to thrive, to be honest, because the, the like companies in the space have been decentralized from the beginning. Um, yeah. so all this exactly. like working from home and like getting used to using like Zoom and like Google Hangouts, like we I were think already we, like good. Yeah, we were like good in this space. And then like having to, you know, create chat groups and stuff like we have Telegram, we have WhatsApp. One of our largest have- companies like, you know, Binance runs their whole company off of chat rooms, yes, you know, they exactly. asked me not to and say so- which one. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I remember CZ saying like Binance is decentralized. It's being it decentralized is fully today. decentralized. I work very closely yeah. with them. They're great people with all their different departments because they have a lot of different departments. They yeah. are so decentralized, but they act efficiently. And I yes. think because they created this healthy competition within the company itself, where they all want to be, it's like they're competing with each other, but in a healthy way, I can't explain it without fear of losing their job, you know? <laughs> but that's the beauty of like Telegram. Like you can have a chat group that's like a department <laughs> within a yeah, company. Yeah, exactly. And that's what so- it is. They're, 
It's so cool. Yeah, no, like literally like Telegram run companies. That is crypto in general because we work with a lot of like our clients when they partner with people. It's like, okay, new partnership, create a new Telegram group. All right, let's just like work on this efficiently. And actually just having a global team in a way as a PR firm, we're able to say that we can give 24-7 coverage because when I'm in bed, my Australian you know, colleague... Um, can be doing his or her work. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, but also can like, if, if there needs to be a little bit of a handover and they need to run with a story, like, I can just hand it to them and we're like kind of, we're set. And then some, then you get, the, you know, there are people who don't sleep. <laughs> so they'll just ping you whenever. So yeah. fine. But then at least I have a, a team member that can pick it up when I'm in bed. And for like emergencies or whatever, if there was ever an emergency. Well, well Samantha, yeah, exactly. thank you so much for coming on the show today and taking the time out. Um, yeah. Sound like you got a whole 24 operation, a lot of people, a lot of different clients and everything. Um, thank you for being the, the, on the front lines on, on, on the public perception of our industry and making sure that I have a job every day. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun, Charlie. 